Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to spend time together this morning, praying, singing, uh, being with one another, eating together later. Uh, and we pray for those especially here um, who, who aren't Christians or don't know if they're Christians, are curious, are rethinking, are here to, because they're polite or doubting or sceptical. We pray that for all of us we can be blessed as we think more about this amazing story of Jesus, uh, but especially for those who, who have questions and interest and, and doubts that this can be a time where uh, we will meet you in your word uh, and be changed by that. Please help me speak clearly and truly. Please protect our tech, that it can be a help, not a distraction. Um, and, uh, and please help us hear well as, as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, picture with me a, a, a perfect summer holiday day. Maybe it's a trip to the shack in Hobart. There's a bunch of people. Bruny Island is where they go. Maybe it's Binalong Bay or wherever it is, and it's gorgeous weather. You pack at the end of the work week. You, you get in the car, off you go. Uh, early dinner as you get settled, just gorgeous. Sleep in, all the kids sleep through and sleep in. You wake up later than normal, feeling like you've done something wrong by getting up so late. Leisurely breakfast, um, uh, go for a swim, have a barbie for lunch maybe, go for a fish, catch plenty of stuff just off the jetty. And then after dinner you sit around on the deck, over a glass of wine or herbal tea or whatever it is you like. Um, and uh, and then, then one, of, one of the group turns to you and says, hey... Or maybe it's like a party out in the town. Maybe you, that's more your thing, you know. You get together, have a few drinks around at a friend's house, playing the latest playlist. Um, you, you go out for dinner, perhaps, to the hot new place to get sort of expensive food on large plates with small drizzles of thing to eat. And you, you eat a little bit, you laugh, you share stories, you catch up. And then maybe you go out to see a band or to dance and you're all out on the dance floor and the music's your favourite song, whatever that is, and you, maybe you're all dancing in unison to this. And then suddenly one of your friends over the music says, Hey, guys, and you'll go, Yeah, what? Have you ever thought about dying? Of course, that's more or less the, uh, one of the scenes from the, the sensation, the Barbie film. Have you ever thought about dying? Talk about ruining a lovely evening out at the deck at the shack. Talk about ruining a great dance party out on the town. Have you ever thought about dying? What a downer. Who invited her? Who invited him? <laughs> what a, it's a tough hang, isn't it? Someone who's going on about these kinds of grim topics. And yet, like, it is one of the defining features of human existence, of life on earth, isn't it? Death. You'd think it ought to be a common topic for conversation. I skimmed through, as you do, the, the headlines of things that pop up on your, your social media, and I did see one that grabbed my attention, and then I just kept scrolling. It, it made a comment <laughs> about how um, uh, psychologists have discovered there's even a, a brain fade that happens when people hear about death. We have this natural defence mechanism that as we begin to cover that topic or share some sad news about somebody else, we sort of dissociate a little and go, oh, uh, that's not me, as if we were talking about wombats or something. And yet, as uh, Aaron Burr sings in Hamilton, death doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. It takes, takes, it takes. 
And we keep living anyway. We rise and we fall and we break. Lord sings in her glory and gore from the Pure Heroine album. I don't ever really think about death. It's all right if you do. It's fine. Well, that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be thinking about death together. We're going to be pondering this great challenge that faces us all, sinners and saints. Uh, that, that song even from Hamilton echoes an ancient biblical poem from uh, the, the intriguing Bible book of Ecclesiastes which speaks about how death comes to everybody, the good and the bad, the righteous, the wicked, the clean, the unclean. As it is with the good man, so it is with the sinners. As it is with those who take religious oaths, so it is those who are afraid to take oaths. That death comes to everybody. We're going to be thinking about this nuisance in a way, this invasive experience, what the Bible calls the last enemy. Now, it is true, on a, in terms of on a natural level, there is a time when death feels like a relief. That, that is true. We know what that's like to say, ah, oh, the suffering is over now. That, but we're, we're thinking a little larger than that about the, the deeper spiritual or uh, existential, philosophical sense in which human beings feel troubled by the fact that death has to be the relief, that that's the best we can hope for is for the suffer suffering to be over. There's, there is this sense humans have that in, its, in all its naturalness, there is something also unnatural about it. So we grieve and we wonder and we long, is there something more? Do you ever think about death? Do you ever think about life after death? Here, in uh, this story, this amazing story about Jesus' life, uh, he, he raises this theme as he speaks about his friend. Verse 11, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I am going to wake him up. And then down in verse 14, he speaks plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake it's glad that I wasn't there, so that you may believe. Let's go to him. So let's go. Let's watch. Let's see this strange and remarkable, miraculous, and I think potentially life-changing story unfold. Like I said last week, these two weeks, are they're not sort of the philosophical discussion about is this reliable history? We can do that study, and there is good reason to, to take the Bible stories as seriously as history. We're not going to be focusing there today, just like last week. And also, we're not going to be focusing on philosophical questions so much. We'll touch on them, but we won't be asking, the, is it rational to believe in a miracle? Or um, why does God allow suffering in the world? We, we, we might touch on those things, but our focus instead, there are answers to those questions, but our focus here is instead to be kind of stepping into the story, uh, uh, assuming, if you like, or allowing that it could be true, that it could be what happened, and asking what would it mean if it were true? If this is what happened, if this is what has happened in our world, that what has touched the lives of dozens and dozens of people in this room and millions and millions of people in the world and through history um, really is a, a reality of God coming into the world to change it forever, what would that mean? What would that mean for you? What would that mean for the rest of your life and for life after death? At the end of his book, this 
uh, writer, John, the Apostle John, the evangelist, says there's many other things I could have told you about Jesus. Jesus did many other miraculous things in the presence of his disciples. I haven't written everything down, but these ones I've written down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, have life in his name. And that's a little taste of what we'll be doing today. Yeah? Lazarus has fallen asleep. He is dead. What will happen? Depending how you count the stories in John's gospel, this is either the sixth or the seventh miraculous sign, which is quite interesting. It brings us to the end of the first half of his book as he sets up a a bunch of astonishing things Jesus did and teaching around that and then goes on to talk about Jesus' own death and resurrection. Six and seven is an interesting choice of number. For a Bible culture, a Bible literate person, they, they see seven as, understand seven to be like a divine number of completion. And so we're either here at sort of a, a full picture of, of what Jesus is, seven, the seventh sign, or about to reach that full picture with Jesus' own death and resurrection. Yeah, that's, that's, this is a kind of climax point in the first half of John's story. And this climax begins with bad news, verses 1 to 3. So the bad news, let's start there. First one. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whom, uh, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped her feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. It's a serious illness, a life-threatening terminal. This is big deal. We should tell Jesus as soon as we can because he knows our family. He knows our brother. Jesus would want to know. It's a curious little insight, curious insight we get here. Um, I mentioned last week how in, in the stories of Jesus, we don't only have his famous teaching and his famous conversations with powerful people, we have other personal events and conversations. And this is one of those where we get this insight that Jesus had a close, intimate friendship with his family, these sisters and brother, yeah? That he knew them, he had... um, We even get a hint at another story to come in John chapter 12 of Mary pouring the perfume on his feet. And here, Lazarus is one you love, Further down, when Jesus finally comes to the tomb, verse 33, Jesus saw the weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her weeping, and Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid, Lazarus, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how Jesus loved him. He loved this one. Jesus didn't come into the world uh, aloof and so spiritual and kind of cool that he just sort of cruised along over the top of people, dispensing wisdom and miracles. He, he came into this world uh, truly physically human and in a network of relationships, of intimacy, of love and care and concern. Actually, the author of this gospel also speaks of himself as the disciple Jesus loved. Uh, connection and bond and concern. It's just a nice little touch to our portrait of Jesus. Bad news, uh, tender affection, which makes Jesus' reaction all the more odd to this bad news. Look at verse 5. 
Uh, we'll go from verse 4, actually. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when, or some translations even say because, when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was. Two more days. So, oh my goodness, he's terminal. He's really, I care about these people, so I'll stay where I am. It's puzzling. Verse 20 picks up on this. When Martha heard that Jesus finally had arrived, she went out to meet him. Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. We know the amazing things God makes you able to do. Why didn't you come and do them? Verse 32, similarly, when Mary finally meets with Jesus, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here... My brother wouldn't have died. He he could have. He should have. Why didn't he? Verse 37, some say, he opened the eyes of the blind man. That's the story we looked at last week in John chapter 9. So couldn't he have kept this man from dying? Similar to this story of the blind man, Jesus' answer to the why has to do with the glory of God. So having thought about the bad news and Jesus' shocking response to it, we now hear his reason for that as related to the glory of God. Listen to how Jesus talks about it again. Let's go back to those verses at the start of chapter 11. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. That's why he stayed. Two more days. He he unpacks it a little further as he speaks to the disciples in verse 11. As he had said this in verse 11, he went on to tell his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him up. They think he means, like, just literally, he's he's crook, he's fatigued, he's resting up. And they say, well, just let let him rest. And Jesus then clarifies, no, he he means, um, he's speaking metaphorically here. Jesus, verse 13, it's been speaking of Lazarus's death. So, verse 14, he spoke to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so you may believe it, so now let's go to him. It's to do with something that will be shown by the miracle of his resurrection that Jesus delays going to heal him in his sickness. This reminds us a lot of the the way Jesus spoke of the man born blind. People wanted to know whose fault was the blindness. And Jesus said in chapter 9, verse 3, it wasn't the sin of the man, it wasn't the sin of his parents, it was so that God's work may be shown in his life. Both passages also speak of night and day, light and darkness, which is interesting. That, That both are places where, in the midst of a complex of reasons that we can't go into in depth of how God relates to time and how suffering entered into the world and all these kinds of uh, big topics. One thing Jesus is saying is that even through our hardship, suffering, pain, illness, disability, death, grief, God's glory can be shown. I mean, it's especially unique here. Jesus is on earth. Jesus is literally on earth, showing who he is uh, in these miracles during his time on earth. This is a unique time. But while it's not a full explanation for the issues of suffering and death, as a broader thought, it, it is nice to consider that if there is a God personally involved in the world, 
maybe even in my difficulties, heartbreaks, sufferings, disappointments, God could be doing something good through those things. That's, that's, a, that's a beautiful comfort that Christians hold on to. Of course, it's only part of the story, remember. It's not like Jesus says, oh, God's glory will be shown and then adopts this pious, blank, serene, um, again, floating, just sort of like he's soaked himself calm and is, is just sort of hovering around. He's still actually distressed, even though he knows the power God has given him and can see God at work in his life. That's, again, a comfort. We, we saw, didn't we, in 33 to 36, how he was deeply moved in spirit. He was troubled. He was angry. He wept. That famously shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35. Jesus wept. He was visibly moved. Verse 38, once more, deeply moved. He came to the tomb. Christian spirituality can hold together. So for a Christian religious experience, they can hold together confidence in God and his glory and his goodness and a greater purpose with genuine pathos, being upset, being distressed. Even our Lord Jesus shows that in his humanity. Yeah? Everyday experiences of emotion are complicated. The truly spiritual person still experiences that complex of emotion. So it's not the full picture, and yet, as I said, it is part of the picture, a beautiful part of the picture, to think that even in suffering, God goodness can be at work. With this in mind, Jesus doesn't rush to the tomb. Yeah? Within the bounds of, you could say, the moral obligation of God the Son on earth and divine intervention, he delays, verse 6. He holds back four days, verse 17, and finally comes and arrives so that Lazarus by this stage is well and truly, definitely, undeniably dead, verse 39. There is a bad odour. He has been there three days. So it's time to go, Jesus says. There's some additional dialogue about controversy and uh, the increasingly hostile Jewish leaders. We saw that last week. We won't take time on that in verses 7 to 16. We won't focus on that today, but there's more of that heating up of uh, hostility. Uh, Instead, we get, we'll go fast forward to Jesus' conversations with the sisters, Lazarus' sisters. So having looked at the bad news, having thought about um, the glory of God, let's now look at these two conversations with Mary and Martha on, on the theme of the resurrection and the life. Because before Jesus gets to Lazarus' tomb, he encounters both sisters, one after the other. Martha first comes to Jesus while Mary stays behind, and eventually Mary too comes to Jesus both say the same thing, perhaps different tones of voice. Lord, why weren't you here? If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Verse 21, verse 32. Again, devotion, affection, and worship doesn't rule out. All through the Bible, especially in the middle of it, the Psalms and Job, have people arguing back at God, pouring out their grief to him. It's Again, a part of Christian spirituality is, is saying why. How long? The dialogue with Martha is really important for our theme this morning, knowing Jesus. Let's take a look at it. Verse 21 and 22. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So she has great confidence in Jesus having God's divine power. He can open the eyes of one born blind. We saw that last week, chapter 9, gets mentioned in verse 37. She has confidence. Even now, he could raise the dead. Yeah, She has faith mixed with grief. And here we then get this interesting insight into the way a person in Jesus' day would have thought about resurrection. Just pay attention to this. It's, it's hard to sometimes wind back our assumptions as those familiar with Christian tradition and teaching. Hard, hard to kind of, we assume resurrection means Jesus, resurrection means Easter. Even if you're not a Christian, you get the idea that Christians think that Jesus rose and so on. But notice here the assumptions that Martha has about rising again. Jesus says in verse 23 to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha's response is, look at this, verse 24, Martha answered, yeah, I know, he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That's the assumption that those in Jesus' day would have brought to things. It helps us also understand why the disciples didn't like it when Jesus said, I will be killed on the cross and three days rise again. Possibly what they heard, like what Martha heard here is, he will rise again and they heard, yeah, yeah, he'll go to heaven in the end. I know that. Maybe that's similarly what the disciples heard when Jesus spoke about rising again. You know, I'll be killed on the cross, but I'll go to heaven in the end. They associate resurrection with the end of everything, with life after death. You could say life after life after death. A, a new life in God's re restored world, an eternal life in a glorified body forever. That's what she went to. And so when Jesus says, your brother will rise again, she goes, yes, 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 I'll see him in heaven when we die. And here then becomes uh, one of the most important explanations of the Christian understanding of life after death, of the Christian understanding of resurrection. For Jesus responds to Martha by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. I am eternal life. I am, you could say, the end of the world. In me, <laughs> the end of the world, life after death, has broken into the world, into time. Time has been broken in two now, and the end of the world has come in me. I am the resurrection. I am the life. He who believes in me will live. Even if they die, they'll still live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never really die, you could say. Here is the Christian understanding of resurrection, that in Jesus, God's eternal life has come into the world. Yes, to do the miracle with Lazarus, yes, that Jesus will rise again. But that, the meaning of that is that now life, restored life with God, life that never fades away, has begun, is available to anyone who believes in Jesus. And that so then death to come is, like Jesus said, falling asleep. It's just a, a brief interval before life continues on with God in a resurrected body forever and ever. Jesus says, in him is heaven. In him is eternal life. In him is a life that never ends. In him is the judgment day. In him is forgiveness from the judgment day. In him is rescue from hell or condemnation. Is entry into eternal life. Is the key to life. Is the way to God. Way back in chapter 5, Jesus speaks this way. We looked at this when I came to visit back in, in July. Jesus said in uh, John chapter 5, verse 21, 
Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whomever he's pleased to give it. And 5.24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He will not be condemned. He has crossed over, already crossed over from death to life. And I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Just as the Father has life in himself, he's granted the Son to have life in himself. He rephrases it again, verse 27. Uh, She rephrases it rather. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Yeah, I believe you are the one that gives all the good things God has come to give. In his mercy, I see in you the glory of God, just as we're about to see it in the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So if you're not a Christian here, or maybe you've had a bit of Christian background, church or school or something, camps you went on as a kid or something like that, youth groups, it's really important to be clear on what's going on here. That we cannot, and this is true even as historians, as sceptical historians studying Jesus. You cannot study Jesus as only a good religious teacher. He's just, Christians don't see him that way. The historical record doesn't present him that way. He is much more than that. Even if you don't think it's true, that's how, he, how Christians understand him. That's how he understood himself. As much more than just someone giving you God's rules for life or God's blessing for life. Much more than just a teacher giving rules for life or blessing for life. No, he is the one who is the place where you meet God. That's how he presented himself. The place where heaven touches earth. The place where eternal life begins. The place where the end of the world dawns. The place where you deal with death and judgment and guilt and shame forever and enter into forgiveness, reconciliation, eternal life forever. Massive, in other words. Listening to Jesus, believing in Jesus, worshipping Jesus, is an enormous thing. A prof- the most spiritually profound thing there could be. He is the way to God, to life, for real, lasting hope. And then we see that shown to us in this sign, this historical, miraculous sign of what Jesus did with Lazarus. Yeah. Mary got up quickly um, in verse 29 and goes to meet Jesus, comes out of the village, and when she, the Jews had been with Jesus in the house, comfort her, notice how quickly she got up, they followed her, and when she came to the place where Jesus was, she said, Lord, have you been here? My brother would not die Jesus saw her weeping, and she saw all the others weeping, and he himself wept. He said, where is he laid? Come. Come and see, Lord. And so he comes to that place deeply moved, deeply troubled, verse 38. And there's a stone across the tomb. Don't take that stone away. The shame and the disgust of the decaying body. Lord, no, he's been dead four days. Jesus said, no, you will see, verse 40, you will see the glory of God. You'll see a sign of who I am and what I bring. So they took away the stone, verse 41. He prays to God. Father, I know you hear me. 
You always hear me. I've said this for the benefit of those standing here, that they will get what's going on. And when he said this, he called out, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, verse 44. His hands and feet wrapped. It's the vivid little details, isn't it? Wrapped up and he has to unwind the strips of linen and the cloth around his face. Take the grave clothes off. Let him go. What a party it would have been that night. What rejoicing, what tears. Now not a sorrow, but a joy would have come. No wonder, verse 48, that many of the Jews who came to visit Jesus, verse um, uh, 45 rather, many of the Jews who came to visit Mary and Jesus and seeing what Jesus did, put their faith in him. Here is the resurrection and the life. The one, if you believe in him, you won't die. The one who, if you live and you believe in him, will have eternal life. Even though you die in this short shadow lands of this life. The one who opens up eternity for us and gives it freely to any who ask and believe. He hears the voice of the Son of God and it leaves the tomb. Just as any who hear, like this morning, as we're hearing the message about Jesus, can come to life that lasts forever. For whom now death is just falling asleep for a little while. The tragedy, which is a warning to us all, is the end of the passage. We don't have time to look through in detail today, but... It's, it's, it's tragically ironic again, the way some will not believe. Here, because of a mix of power and politics and religion. Because of their political concerns, their religious concerns, they're more worried about up, social upheaval than they are about eternal life. That's pretty believable. We human beings can sell the most precious things in our life for cheap things like careers, reputations, pleasure for a moment, money. We give away so much for so little, so easily. <laughs> and so here we have people, because of political concerns and religious concerns, miss God in their midst. And the things they say are damningly... Again, ironic, this sort of, they're speaking better than they know. They say, oh, um, we, we can't have, if things go on like this, they say, everyone will believe in him, <laughs> as if that's a bad thing. They say, no, we should um, get rid of this Jesus, betray him to the Roman Empire, uh, because it's better that one person would die for the nation than all of us would perish. They're wanting to get rid of him, but they're talking about what he's actually going to do, that he will die to bring forgiveness and salvation to the world. It's tragic and shameful and comical all at once as we read through this final section. And it's a warning to us. Will we see and put our faith in him, verse 45? Do you believe this, as Jesus said to Martha, verse 26? Will we see the glory of God, as Jesus said in verse 4? Or will it just pass us by, wash over us? And we're out the car park, we're in the car, and off we go. And the most real things in life just drift away like a dream. And we fill our lives up with the, the bric a brac 
all the while, death's right there. The biggest question. God's made it all. God's, we, we, we live and move in God's world all the time. And we just tune it out. Many of you here have grown up in church. You kind of know it. You sort of believe it, sort of. But you're kind of, you're also just in church because family goes to church and uh, sort of not, but sort of. Well, maybe you could hear the words Jesus says to Martha as words to you as well, for you to think about for you. Here's Jesus speaking to Martha and through the word now, speaking to you, You've grown up in church. Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? There comes a point, hey, if you've grown up in church, you've got to ask that question. Do I believe this? Is this for me? Is this my life? My God? My hope. Perhaps others of you here, you're not a regular at church, but you have kind of known enough for a long, long time, sort of, kind of believed it, I guess, for a long, 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 long time. But do you believe this? Will you worship Jesus, put your faith in Jesus, follow Jesus? The best thing you ever did. Of course, for many, it's perfectly understandable that there are many, many more questions, <laughs> things to understand. Even as I'm talking, you got lost here, distracted there. I thought, oh, hang on, but what about, of course, religious conversion, like any other kind of belief, brings with it questions you've got to ask and think through and whatever else. Yeah. But can I suggest to you, not to take the voice campaign's no advice when it comes to Jesus. If you're not sure, just say no. <laughs> Can I encourage you, rather than saying, oh, I'm not sure about Jesus, I'll just say no. <laughs> Can I encourage you instead, if you're not sure, to find out a little more? Here you are. That's terrific. Welcome. I hope it has been an interesting experience. Why not come back next week, find out a little more, meet the youngs and hear them speak about Jesus, find out a little more. The Gospel of John is written to, I guess, like a Netflix show to get you want to click the next episode. It keeps linking back to things, back to the man born blind, forward to Martha's perfume pouring. and It's saying, hey, read the whole thing and read it again. I've got Bibles here. I reckon you could probably nick one and go before they noticed, and actually I don't reckon they would mind if you did. <laughs> um, so you could grab a Bible here. Of course, you can get it free on the internet. Just click John, John's Gospel, and you can read it straight off your phone or something. But why not read the whole story? It's a great story. And as you read the whole and read it again, you'll see more discoveries, just like re-watching your favorite show. Or, as we'll hear from Sarah in a second, this Christianity Explored thing... I, Tell you what, it is such a great way to, uh, to think more about Christianity. In a group of people who are doing the same thing as you, reading it for yourself, talking about it with others, floating thoughts, hearing others' thoughts, over a few weeks. And it's really interesting, actually, to spend religious social time 
<laughs> some time actually with other people, socialising and enjoying time together and thinking about profound religious truths. It's a really satisfying way to spend some free time, actually, to think more about the questions that are more important than anything else you could think about. So Sarah's going to speak about that in just a second. I do consider that. There's a time there and all the details. And if you can't make the time, use the email address to say, is there another time you could do for me? That's worth going for. I'm going to pray now, though, and then I'll pass across to Sarah. So maybe you can come up, Sarah, ready to go. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this. the amazing gift it is of Jesus Christ and the stories about him in the Bible, for these amazing truths of eternal life, the resurrection and the life. Strengthen the faith of us who are believers. Give living faith to those of us even who grew up in church and help those of us seeking to find out more to get the answers we need. You know every one of us in this room. You know what we need. So we pray for one another by the Spirit who knows all things. In Jesus' name. Amen.